Tony Coffey is a 45-year-old stand-up comedian originally from Salford in Manchester. He followed his heart up to Glasgow 17 years ago when he met his now wife. Tony has a number of amazing achievements under his belt, including writing for Viz magazine. And he's about to perform at the Glasgow International Comedy Festival in March of this year. And Tony joins me in the studio now. Tony, thank you so much for joining us here on RNIV Connect Radio today. Thanks for having me. Now, we have got so much to talk about today because you are one very, very funny man. You're a stand-up comedian. Uh, yeah, well, hopefully that's the that's the idea and hopefully achieve it. Do you know something? My husband, uh, it must be a Man- Mancunian thing because I know you're from Manchester and uh, my husband actually has tried the old stand-up as well. So, uh, How you, did you, he do? He, he actually loved it. Yeah. It was me that couldn't handle it. Um, I couldn't stand if anybody was whispering or talking or, you know, I sat there with my heart in my mouth but no he is a very funny guy I think uh, you Manx are very funny uh, just naturally I think there is a, a great history of humour in the city obviously you've got local rivalry with uh, Liverpool and what have you and they always claim to have the greatest sense of humour but they're wrong um, <laughs> all the famous comedians that have come from Manchester you've got the likes of Peter Kay and Carolyn Ahern and Victoria Wood. Well, do you know something? I know I hear from very good sources that uh, you are a very funny man yourself. And I haven't seen you perform, but uh, I'd really like to see you perform. I know you're going to be performing at the Glasgow International Comedy Festival this year. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But um, the reason that that we're speaking to you is is to find out about, obviously, your comedy, but also the fact that you actually have retinitis pigmentosa, don't you? Yeah, I was diagnosed with RP. Uh, when I was about eight, um, my mum and dad noticed that I was always falling over, my brother and sister and my cousins, um, and they just thought I was being clumsy and shouting at me. But they took me to the optician and he referred me on to Manchester Eye Hospital and uh, they diagnosed me and booted me out into the, the wide world. Yeah, it's very difficult. You know, I've been blind for the last 20 years, so I'm pretty much half and half living in sighted world and now in blind world. And, you know, my sight went very quickly in the space of two weeks when I was 19. So it was a very, very uh, disturbing time and and very frightening. At that time, Tony, you know, 20 years ago for me, and I don't know what it was like for you uh, as a child, but, you know, my my parents and, and I had very very little information yeah. uh, help I was living abroad at the time so I wasn't even in this country I couldn't rely on uh, organizations such as RNIB so it was very overwhelming yeah I remember um, the uh, doctor actually coming into the the room where my mum and dad was sat uh, with the diagnosis of RP and he basically said uh, your son's got retinitis pigmentosa he'll be blind by the time he leaves primary school right on you go Uh, It was like, you know, when you see The Simpsons and they give you a leaflet about some horrific thing that's happened in your life. There you go, you've ruined your life and it's on a little A5 pamphlet. That was the sort of care and... Attention that you got Yeah, support that you were given in those days. I'm sure it's improved now. People are a bit more, you know, a bit more bedside manner about things. I don't know. What What can you do? Do you know something? There's not very much you can do apart from get on with it. And and I suppose at the time, you know, your parents had to do a lot of legwork to kind of find out what was available for you. When I was young, everything was, um, oh, there's a a boat from Russia that's sailing around injecting people's eyeballs with yeast and stuff like that. And my mum and dad were, and you would be, wouldn't you, if your children were were ill and you were desperate, you'd be trying everything. But, you know, we did go to Lourdes. My mum swears by Lourdes. She's convinced it's helped. (laughs) 
Well, do you know what the funny thing is? We heard about the Russian boat as well. Uh, I never made it to the Russian boat, unfortunately. Um, But, you know, we travelled all over the place as well. And I think you do things when you're desperate because anything is going to help. And sometimes, you know, a a lot of people will say they pray and they pray and they pray. And sometimes it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and smacking you in the face. But there is something that does help you through. And I don't know what it was, but I think it was just maybe the support from family and friends but yeah. did you end up having to go to a specialist school or were you mainstream school no um i did go to mainstream secondary school my mum and dad wanted me to stay quote normal um it was like uh, going to school in the beano our school i tell you the <laughs> teachers and the pupils never learned anything i went in i could tie my shoelaces and i could read and i came out i could barely do either you know, it's so. like sitting talking to my husband yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, do you know something? You've done incredibly well ever since, you know, considering that, you know, you didn't feel you got as much as you could have out of school. And I think that's the problem with a lot of people who are registered blind or partially sighted, but they still have, you know, a modicum of sight remaining. They do feel they're very, very much left behind. I don't think it was that. I'm blaming the teachers. Oh, right. Okay. You know, I could roll for it. We had one teacher who swallowed a marble in class. That was the level of teaching that was going on. He put it in his teeth, and I was watching, and I thought to myself, I know exactly, you know, when you get a little premonition of the future, Mm -hmm. I was like, I know exactly what's going to happen here, and I don't know why he had a marble, and I don't know why he put it in his teeth, but he went, (laughs) and he just stood up very slowly. I think he thought that nobody had seen it happen. But I'd seen it happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, I was going to say, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of doubting from what you've said that uh, there was a, a VI unit in your school at the time then. No. No, we no. barely did English. <laughs> well, you, you've you gone on to do some pretty remarkable things. You are a stand-up comedian, as we were uh, talking about earlier on. Tell yeah. us a bit about how you get into that. I started really when I was probably about 25. And uh, my dad was uh, the social secretary of a club and they were coming up to have their annual talent show sort of thing. So he asked me if I'd compare it because he was playing in a band. So I said to compare it and I went along uh, just to try out a couple of jokes and a bit of patter and what have you to a club in Manchester, a famous club called the Frog and Bucket. I know it very well, actually. My husband did one there. Is that the one Mm. that he did? Yeah. How How did he go down? Let's move on. All right, okay. <laughs> well, I got the um, probably the best start ever because the way I used to do it, I never used to speak to people about my eyesight. I never used to tell any jokes about it. I never used to do anything remotely concerned with it. It was, it was daft, really, because I'd be falling over tables, I'd be walking into, can't get up on the stage, can't get off the stage, can't find the microphone and things like that. But I didn't want to be known as a visually impaired comedian. And it was crazy, really, because people in the audience just thought you was a weirdo. And Johnny Vegas was comparing that night. And I was sat on the front and he was giving me pelters. And da, da, da. and then he said, right, next up on the stage, Tony Coffey. And I stood up and it brought the place down. <laughs> and I got the best start ever. And I told my jokes. I only did three or four minutes. The jokes went down well. And from then on in, I just carried on doing it. It was something I enjoyed doing. It was a hobby. It took me a couple of places and 
I've always enjoyed doing it. You, you can't beat making people laugh. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's the thing I am really attracted to in a person, sense of humour. I think it's the most amazing attribute to have. And um, I also think it's very, very brave that you can get up and, and stand in front of people and try and make them laugh because I just, I, I can't bear it. I can't bear the thought of standing there and people heckling me. And if anybody yeah. ever heckled my husband, I used to be, you know, like a raging bull. Very defensive. Mm, very. Yeah. Yeah, I could understand that. Um, I wouldn't say it's brave. It's like I say, it's something I can do, something I enjoy doing. Now, you've also done some stuff on television. I have done some stuff on television. Tell us about that. That's incredible. I'm a serial quiz participant (laughs) with varying degrees of success, I will say. Now, you've also done some stuff on television. I have done some stuff on television. Tell us about that. That's incredible. I'm a serial quiz participant (laughs) with varying degrees of success, I will say. Okay. What quiz shows have you been on? Oh, where do you want to start? I've done (laughs) uh, The Weakest Link. So did I. How did you do? Oh, my goodness. Honestly, I was so thick. I was voted off fourth. Ah, right. Okay. Winner. Winner. <laughs> you won. I won it, yeah. Oh, my goodness. You won um, lots of money. I find it very vulgar to talk about money. £2,950. <laughs> Not that you counted it. No. So that was uh, that was good. I enjoyed that one. I've done uh, The Chase, uh, a load of nonsense on BBC Two in the afternoon, Judgmental, uh, Wipeout with Bob Monkhouse. I always seem to get to the very end of the show. I'm always the bridesmaid, never the bride. They ask me hard questions that I don't know the answers to. If they'd have asked me things about Pingu and SpongeBob SquarePants, because I've got two young kids, I'd have been on it. Bong! <laughs> we were just on uh, Pointless is due to be shown at any time now. Oh, that fantastic. Well, we'll definitely need to look out for you in I advance. can't tell you how I did. Oh, right, OK. But I will tell you those Pointless trophies weigh a ton. Right. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. But uh, you've also done stuff with Viz Magazine. Now, Viz Magazine was probably like my Bible. Yeah. When I was a teenager, I absolutely adored it. So when I heard that you had done some stuff for Viz magazine, yeah. I was extremely impressed. Some of the most enjoyable things I've ever done in my life was writing for Viz. Yeah, I used to do the spoof news stories. Basically spent five, six years writing stories about Osama Bin Laden being locked in lifts or crazy British Eurocrats and... Gokwan being found uh, swimming up and down in the Thames. Nonsense, utter gibberish, but I used to, there was nothing better than seeing the comic come out and having your articles in it. I, I will say this, I preferred that to the stand-up. Really? Well, do you know, it's funny, I used to be a newspaper writer and I know exactly what you're talking mm. about. To see your article and your byline yeah. in a newspaper, you know, is, is just an incredible uh, well, feeling. you never so... got your byline in Viz, you see, because you had to make up a funny name for your reporter. Oh. What was your funny name? Oh, well, it just like to do with the story. So in the magazine, you had to think up a, a daft name. So I did used to go uh, through a lot of uh, cartoon uh, characters and producers like Fred Quimby, who used right. to do the yes. Tom and Jerry's. And... Oh, it sounds like you've had a lot of fun along the way. And uh, obviously, you know, losing your sight, um, you know, whether it's wholly like I did or... Mm partially you know it's a terribly traumatic thing it can be a terribly emasculating thing i always look at it it's it's not going to kill you and that I, I never say that it's a problem or you know i've got the monopoly on problems or anything like that because there are people outside with genuine problems but i think it puts a lot of problems onto other people let's like say like if we go out 
I have to go somewhere with my son and my daughter. They're uh, 12 and 9. Um, I'm there to protect them. But really, they're looking after me. And I think that's that's one of like the, the main issues that I have with it. It shouldn't really be that way around. I'm there, basically. You know those people who have plastic owls? To <laughs> no. Scare, to, well, you get a plastic owl. <laughs> right, okay, to scare pigeons. To scare the pigeons okay. away. I am a parental plastic owl. Right. You know, scaring who knows who away. But with the kids that are keeping an eye on me, really, you know. Do you ever get low or depressed oh, about your suicidal? Side? Really, suicidal constantly. Well, they no, do really. say. Well, they do say that a lot of comedians are, you know, very, very depressed people, and uh, an outlet for them is their comedy. Uh, no, um, uh, no, not at all. No, it's. Um, is that just a stereotype? Yeah, I think so. Uh, a miserable. Right, Don't okay. get me wrong. I am miserable. And uh, basically, the show is an hour of me moaning about stuff. I'm the only one who's not taking the crazy tablets. You know, moaning, yes. Unhappy with things, yes. Depressed, no. Well, listen, let's go on to talk about this show of yours because okay. uh, it is coming up um, very soon, actually, in March. It's March the 14th. It's part of the Glasgow International Comedy Festival. Right. What a coup for you. This is amazing. Uh, yeah, um, it's something I've never done my own show before. I have performed at the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, I've done that a few times, but that's always been as part of a gang of three or a gang of two. Uh, this is the first time I've ever sat down and said, right, I'm going to do my own full one hour. And is that daunting? Uh, it is, because, like you say, it's on the 14th of March and I've still not wrote it. Right, OK. So I've got to get cracking. Do you find, though, that a lot of what you talk about is kind of situational, though? I mean, can you go ad lib or do you feel it is, you know, it has to be something that's very scripted but sounds as if you're ad libbing? I've never scripted anything in my life and that's one of the things that I feel I let myself down on. I basically know the gist of what I'm going to talk about and I know what the punchline is going to be and then I try and remember how to get from the start to the finish. It's a more terrifying way of doing it <laughs> okay. because when the um, when you stood there waiting to go on and the compare says, welcome to the stage, Tony Coffey, and your mind goes blank, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to talk about? That is truly terrifying. Yes, I, I do remember one occasion where, you know, my husband just got complete and utter stage fright yeah. and, you know, you just bomb. It was one of the most horrific yeah experiences for it, me as his wife you know it's, watching it's, him it's and to the best i just wanted to go up and and cuddle him and yeah. smack everybody around me that yeah. was not kind of laughing and it was a horrible horrible experience but you know it, it didn't face him no. you know he he got up and he did it again and he was very funny the next time but it is one of those things that they do say everybody bombs at some stage have you bombed oh many a time yeah <laughs> I generally have a good, real nosedive, maybe once every six months. It keeps you on your toes. If you've never failed, you've never succeeded neither. Well, exactly. I think you've just got to, you know, pull your socks up and go yeah. on with it and put it behind you and, and not let it sort of terrify you no. for the next occasion. Do you feel that, that having limited vision actually helps because you can't maybe see the extent of your audience? Well, as far as I'm concerned, every venue is packed to the rafters. 
Um, some people have said that I'm lucky to be uh, partially sighted because uh, that gives me 10 minutes worth of material. And that's, uh, that's one way of looking at luck, isn't it? Well, you know? I know, I know. Yeah. And that's that's the thing, actually. You know, I have heard a couple of, um, you know, blind or partially sighted comedians in the past. Mm-hmm. And it really very much depends on their experience of blindness and how cool they are with their own sight loss as to how they can put it across to their audience because sometimes it can come across as being a wee bit cringy and sometimes it's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, well, that's what I'm aiming for. Uh, I'm not going for uh, the sympathy. A lot of comedians come on and they just want to talk about my dad's dead, my dog's dead, I've just split up with my girlfriend, my wife and kids have left me, blah, blah, blah. Come on, mate, you're here to make us laugh. You know, tell some joke. You've got to have a punchline. That's the main thing. So whether I'm talking about my eyesight or whether I'm talking about the kids or just general day-to-day stuff, it's the the funny angle we're going for. We're not going for sympathy and we're not going for, you know, maudling. Well, do you know something? You have had me in absolute stitches today. I have so enjoyed speaking with you today. Oh. And uh, I'm going to come along and see you. You should do. Um, now, tell us about the night itself. You're going to be at the Yes Bar in Glasgow. That's right. It's on Jury Street. Uh, it's the 14th of March. Starts at quarter past seven. So doors open at five past. And you can buy tickets via the Glasgow International Comedy Festival website. And RC tickets. Fantastic. And, and it's only £6. What can you get for £6? Exactly. Nothing. Exactly. What a bargain. It's what a bargain. bargain. Uh, you can't even get two drinks for £6. You can't. Not in there anyway. No. It's extortionate. <laughs> now, the show is called Tony Coffee Is Abled. That's right. Very good, eh? And it's brilliant, actually. Yeah. I like your play on words there. Now, if anybody wants to follow you, uh, you are on Twitter. Uh, my address is the Tony Coffee, which is C-O-F-F-E-Y. Tony, you're absolutely hilarious. It's yeah. been such fun talking God. to you. It really it's been has. Great coming in. And I look forward to seeing you on the 14th yeah, of March. Free. I'll tell you what I'll do. Because you've said that, I'll give you a free ticket. How's that? I'll comp you in. But your husband better not be funnier than me. And he better not be sat in the audience going like that. Nah, listen, he can pay. He can pay. Make him pay. Tony, have a great one. And we will speak to you again soon here on RNIV Connect Radio. Cheers, Jill.